Welcome to Talking Late Night, where we spotlight top comedians and their late night influences. Here's your host, Max Cantor. Hey everybody and welcome to Talking Late Night. I'm your host Max Cantor and this is not the show yet. No, instead we are celebrating because this is a milestone. 50 episodes. You are listening to the 50th episode of Talking Late Night. So as your host, I want to take a moment and say thank you. Thank you to people like you who have listened, whether it be on Podbean, whether it be on iTunes, whether it be a link on a Facebook ad. Thanks to you, we have made it to 50 episodes, and I've had the honor of interviewing 50 amazing comedians. So keep on listening, and we'll continue to have 50 more amazing comedians. Now, enjoy my interview with the funny man, Freddie Boyd. Hey everybody and welcome to Talking Late Night. I'm your host Max Cantor and today on the show I have an actor, improviser, comedian, and writer who is currently in the general company at Dad's Garage Theater in Atlanta, Georgia. Now you can catch him in improv and sketch shows all over the city. So please welcome to the show, Freddie Boyd. Welcome to the show, Freddie. Hey, it's good to be here. And uh, Freddie, I have to say, I am excited to have you here because we have been planning this for how long now? How, how many months has uh. it been? It's got to be three or four. Three? At, at, the, <laughs> at least. At the very least. At least. <laughs> yeah. Three or four months. It's been months. a long time coming. But it's been because you've been working so much. You've just been getting job after job. I know. It's been, it's been a good, good summer. I, well, I'm excited to finally have you here to talk to you about your comedy career. So to get started and to jump right in, uh, growing up, what late night television or comedy influences kind of influenced you and just your style of comedy? Um, so I guess growing up, I was big into Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network. So I came up like most 90s kids with Rugrats and Hey Arnold and Dexter's Laboratory and SpongeBob and um, I don't know. I, when I first realized like what things I thought were funny and realized that um, either other people thought they were funny or did not think they were funny. But my like, I guess my biggest thing growing up that really like kind of spurred me on to make me think, oh, I might want to do this was all that because just seeing kids like in sketches. I, I really never watched that much SNL. I guess that young. I watched it more when I got older, but that young, just seeing SNL, or seeing all that and seeing, like, you know, Kanan and Cal and Amanda Bynes and just kids like that doing silly stuff and having sketches, I just thought that looked like so much fun. And it was one of my favorite shows that I always caught. Now, you mentioned uh, a lot of cartoons in the shows that you watched. Watching cartoons, I mean, uh, they they can make comedy even more fantastical than, say, like a real-life show. So seeing that kind of fantasy element in a comedic sense, did that influence you in any way to show you that the boundaries could be pushed? Oh, absolutely. I've, I've found, like, uh, especially, like, what the comedy that I lean towards now is pretty absurd to a certain point. And I, I think that has to do with cartoons because I just, I really like absurdist comedy. Uh, now, like, Eric Andre show is one of my favorite shows and I love Eric Andre just as, like, kind of a guy, Eric Andre and Tim and Eric and, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of adult swim shows are very, like, kind of off the beaten path of comedy but still kind of resonate with me. I like things that 
haven't been done because they're either too silly or too outrageous. And I, I don't know. That really speaks to me. So mm-hmm. I guess that kind of stems from cartoons. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, because you were watching this, would you classify yourself as a silly kid growing up? Um, well, I remember growing up, like, uh, I remember at my, my pre-K, we had superlatives, and I got really upset that I didn't get class clown because I thought that was the coolest thing you could be mm. in, in school. But I got best with Legos, and so that was kind of a letdown. So I kind of always tried to prove myself after that. Um, I've always been around. I've always had friends that are, like, pretty funny. And so it's always, you know, kind of a little competition, all in good fun. But I think that, like, made me want <laughs> to be funnier. Mm-hmm. I would hope, uh, even to this day, that you would still include on your resume that you're best with Legos, because I feel like that's <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good superlative. It's very unique, very specific. Yeah, looking back at it, I'm proud of it. But at the time, I was I was pretty disappointed. Mm-hmm. Did you find yourself trying to make others laugh to achieve that class clown status? Um, yeah, I just, I, I guess I, I think that was my downfall. It was kind of, uh, I kind of thought I had it in the bag and I didn't. And so, you know, when, when you get too, too confident, sometimes it gets away from you. So, so I think it. Oh, I, I was I was going to ask you know uh, when when you are trying to make people laugh, are you discovering as a kid and as a teenager that the rest of your life you want to pursue a career in comedy and performance, or you're just looking at it as like, a, oh yeah, I kind of do this thing and I'm moving on. Yeah, I, I mean, I always knew I like to make people laugh, but I never really thought of it as a career. I mean, I, I like as a kid, I went through everything. I watched a lot of uh, animal shows growing up as well. I watched a lot of Crocodile Hunter, and I thought I was going to, you know, inherit the Crocodile Hunter throne when I grew up, moved to Australia, you know, <laughs> kind of get the zoo. And then I I was like, oh, I'd like to be an actor on TV. Like, I guess that was kind of like the closest I got to comedy. And then I was like, no, I want to be president. And then uh, I was like, no, I want to be an astronaut. And then I kind of circled back around, so... Wow, so been a journey. You had you you had big big goals. <laughs> yeah, definitely. When did you decide uh, or when did it fall into your lap that that performing and performance was going to be your life? When did that happen? Was it in high school or afterwards? When did it happen? Um, it was really like I went to kind of a fine arts high school, but um we did really strange fine arts I went to a Christian school, so like uh, we did things like Reader's Theater and Choric Reading, which I don't think anybody knows what that is. <laughs> and when I think about it, it was pretty buck wild. What What like, is that? Well, well, Choric Reading is like when you, it's like 20 to 30 people on risers, like a choir, but you do a, a piece of literature or like a performance. So like we did uh, the Pied Piper of Hamlin. And like we would say a bunch of things in unison and then people would have parts and we would like move and like unison. It actually looked pretty cool, but it's like looking back at it now, I've never seen that anywhere else. (laughs) And so it's just weird how they came up with that. But yeah, I was in a play in high school and I did a play in college, but I kind of hung out with the theater people and 
there were people that were trying to start like a comedy group and stuff and but nothing really took off until i i moved to atlanta and went to georgia tech and i started uh with uh ltt let's try this their improv troupe in uh drama tech which is their theater club and even then it was just like i knew i was interested in it and so i was like this will be fun but i didn't really expect to perform I don't know. I, I, I guess I didn't realize how big the improv comedy scene was in general until I like uh, started taking classes. Mm. Now, Georgia Tech is a science school. It's it's for science. So what was it like to be a creative-minded individual at a science school? Um, you'd be really surprised at the overlap of um, engineers in improv specifically. But I think comedy in general i don't know there's some kind of i have a bunch of friends that are um have engineering degrees or like went to tech i mean of course they had enough to have a whole improv troupe and uh, the the theater club at georgia tech was super serious about all of their theater and they i mean i guess there's certain a certain part of a brain that that tickles for technical minded people Hmm. Yeah, I mean, because I have seen a couple of shows through Let's Try This and then just through their uh, theater department in general. And every time it 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 genuinely surprises me where I it blows away my expectations of what they're doing there. So I do agree uh, where there, there is a creative side to Georgia Tech that I don't think a lot of people know about or talk about. Right. Yeah, I guess you wouldn't expect that going in. But yeah, I guess it's just different outlets for different people. Like, I mean. They have a football team too, so like mm-hmm. it's like right, 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 totally. Now, uh, were you just performing with Georgia Tech, or when did you start to venture to other theaters and other places in Atlanta? So yeah, I started with uh, I was with Georgia Tech for maybe like six months to a year, and I was performing with them uh, very fairly regular regularly, like maybe once a month or once every two months as shows came and stuff, it was a pretty big group. So like we didn't do every show and, you know, but, um, yeah, uh, we started going, first we started going to village theater and then we started going to high wire and then some people started taking classes and then I started to volunteer there and I just, uh, took all the classes there and, um, I really fell in love with it. I just like took one after another cause, uh, I knew it was one of my favorite things to do ever since I started. So like it kind of, I got the bug real quick. Mm -hmm. Did you get the bug for just improv or when did sketch uh, get involved? Um, Well, I saw like um, Highwire had a sketch program and I know a lot of the people, like um, a lot of comedians I look up to are also writers like, you know, Will Ferrell and mm-hmm. um like dave chappelle and so uh, i was i was interested in it but i i was kind of like i'm gonna make improv my thing but i, I was sort of, people were telling me like especially when i finished classes they were like you should definitely take the sketch class it's really good it's really good practice and i like um once i got into that i learned how hard it is <laughs> but how like uh rewarding it is to you know come up with a concept and ha- see it uh come to fruition mm-hmm. so 
when you when you so to talk a little bit about sketch writing, do you currently write your own sketches? Um, I I, I generate ideas. I haven't been as um, on on my grind with sketch writing since like having the plays this summer. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I'm trying to get back into it. Writing is hard, and I know anybody that writes knows that. But it's something. It's a habit. It's definitely a habit, and it's definitely something I'm interested in. And want to get better at, but I mean, um, yeah, I'm trying to write, you know, uh, kind of smaller things. I've been trying to like stay within the one to two minute range mm-hmm. and try to see what I can get out in that kind of format. Do you find that your skills with improv help you generate ideas for sketch? Oh, definitely. I mean, because it's so hard, especially it's hard for me to write by myself. Mm. I love to spitball ideas with people. I think that's why I love improv because I love like, you know, the team aspect and the collaboration and just being able to have an idea and kind of improvise dialogue over it or, you know, improvise a scenario over it. It just goes, it kind of goes hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And to talk a little bit about improv, because I know that's, uh, that's a big focus of yours. What initially drew you to the art? What, what attracted you to it? Um, I don't know. I I wish I had some weird, like big philosophical pull or epiphany <laughs> or whatever. But I I just remember, um, like the first week I was at Georgia Tech and I heard that they had one, and I just remember in my mind thinking I want to do that. And like the, I think the thing that kept me in it is just being able to go up and literally do anything you want, and um, you know, just play around, just like literally playing pretend for strangers and then they clap at the end. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's me still trying to get that class clown uh, superlative in pre-K. Mm, totally, totally. Now, when you're in an improv scene um, or when you're in an improv show, what's your goal? So what's your goal of the scene? Is it to make people laugh? Is it to make people feel something? What are you trying to do? Um. I find that my goal like kind of shifts with like where I'm at, where I feel like I'm at, like skill wise and also where like, um, where I feel like I'm at, like trying to, you know, compensate for things or like things I need to work on. Right. I mean, my biggest thing for the longest time that I like keep coming back to is just having fun. And I find that's when I have the best shows and when, my teams have the best shows and like it's I think it's one of the most important things if not the most important thing about improv is to have fun and uh the more I worry about or the more I think like oh I need to make them laugh or this has to be funny or this has to make them feel something I think I get bogged down in that and maybe start to force things so if I just make it a general have fun usually the audience has fun too. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, like what you're doing is you're kind of clearing your mind to to just let whatever happens happens without being bogged down by rules or expectations. Right. Because yeah, because I mean classes and you know coaching like I think I feel like that's the time to think about your craft and maybe think about like when like how you should change things and how how you should you know, different strategies and stuff. But when you get up on stage, of course you, 
you want to be thinking, but you don't want to be thinking it also because improv is the impulse. It's, it's how do you react to the thing that's just said? And mm-hmm. so I feel like you're the most present when you're like, oh, I want to have fun with this person. Mm. Now, what is something that you learned uh, over all the years that, that you were learning improv, honing the craft? What's something that you learned that changed the way that you look at improv or that you look at the way you perform improv? Um, a big, uh, I guess it's not like an overall theme, but a big tactic that helps me because sometimes, especially if a scene isn't going the way I thought it would be or I get into that mode of, oh, I have to be funny or I, uh, I want this to get better is to, um, to, um, make eye contact with your partner and to let whatever the next thing they say be like, uh, be the most important thing to you in the world at that Mm. moment. And, and if you keep, if you keep on that track, it, you start to see your scene get back on track and it starts to be funnier and it starts to be more uh, heartfelt and you're having an emotional connection with your partner instead of trying to make the scene better. It's like you're, everything's coming together with that. So just finding importance in uh, what your partner has offered you, regardless of what it is. And it's like whatever your first reaction is, take that and run with it and then build on that, use that for the next one. And then you're just building instead of trying to come up with something mm-hmm. all on your own, because that's the best part is working together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you from my experience watching improv, the scenes that, that will fail the hardest are the scenes where two people come in and they're just doing their own thing. They had their own thing right. set out and they're just on a total one way street and they refuse to, to like what you said, look at the other person in the eye and share a moment with them. So I, I agree with Definitely. you. It, it the obviously uh, the goal in improv is you wanna you wanna be funny, but at the end of the day, you also wanna tell a story. And to do that, you can, you gotta kind of work with others to tell that right. story. That's at it's, the yeah, it's the basis. It's pretty important when there's more than one person. Right. I, I feel like people get hung up on like trying to be funny, and uh, I mean like. Yeah, like people are lying to you if they're like, Oh, I'm not trying to be funny. Like everybody wants to be funny, but it turns out like reality is funny. And when you bring real things, even if like absurd concepts, if you can bring them into the real, because like, I don't know, funny is like kind of built on relativity. Like we laugh at things that we can relate to or that we can't relate to because we can relate to the situation that it's in. And this would never happen in it. Mm-hmm. And it's like kind of, yeah. So I think you can, you can look for spots to be funny while you're being real. Mm-hmm. And I think funny can come from a lot of different places too. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be a, Oh, that, that was a good line. Like that was a very funny line. It can also be, that's funny. Cause like what well, you said, that's absurd or that's funny because they're being so honest. Like I would do that. Or that's funny because that shocked me. I didn't expect them to do that. So there's so many different ways to get humor out of improv, but that's what makes it so cool is there's so many different paths. It's not like a script where these are the lines, this is what's going to get the laugh. There's just so many options in improv. Right. Absolutely. 
And there are so many different audiences and different like ways of thinking. And I, I mean, it's just time and time again to where like the reason I, I try not to think about like what would be funny is because like, uh, like, Every, almost every show I do, I say something that I don't think is funny at all, and it gets a laugh. And then I'll say something that I think is hilarious, and it's cricket. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I mean, if you can't predict it, then why try? It's right. like, yeah, just go with the flow, and don't take anything personally, and make everything important. Mm. Uh, yeah. 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 Now, you brought up a good point of not getting laughs. So when you're up there in a scene with either one person, two people, maybe four people are up there all together in a scene, and the scene is bombing, it's not going well, what are some tactics that you use to kind of rescue a failing scene, whether you're in it or watching it? Well, the best thing to do is to wipe it if you're watching it. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I mean... I've, I've read and I've been taught over and over again, like nobody cares about a bombing scene as much as you think they do. (laughs) And nobody is offended. Like you are, you are being a good scene partner by getting them out of that situation. Mm -hmm. But if you're in it, it's just, it's really like improv. I've been uh, taught that it's like um, walking down a hallway backwards or it's like uh, jumping off a cliff and building a plane on the way down. And like with any, anything like that, you, you want to kind of reference back to where you started. So if you can get back to like where the scene started and what like was important then and kind of incorporate it, like you want to use all the blocks you can that have been already established. Because if you can go back to something then that starts to be your foundation. And you can come out of almost any scene that feels like it's lost its way if you kind of go back to what was important. And if it started out with stuff that you didn't really like, find the part of it you like or find a way to twist it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like what you said too about how no one cares as much as you think they do about a failing scene. It reminded me, um, you know Tara Oaks. Uh, She was one of my first guest, like probably first 10 interviews that I did. And she brought up this such an amazing point that blew my mind, but it's so simple. And she said, nobody leaves an improv show talking about the scenes that bombed. Absolutely. And I was like, that is so true. That is so so true. No matter how badly, and obviously as the performer, it feels like it's the end of the world for you, but but <laughs> no one no one is going to leave that show being like, hey, you remember that guy? That scene sucked. No, they're going to leave talking about the ble- the beautiful moments, the glorious moments that you had. So no one leaves an improv show talking about the bad moments, but that's similar to what you just said, but it totally reminded me of it. Um, yeah. People, I mean, that's the yeah. beautiful thing about improv too, is you have infinite chances. Right. Like, literally everything you do that you feel is rough or bad or like didn't like make you feel how you wanted it to feel. You literally have another chance to do it. Like next scene. Mm-hmm. It's just like the, the slate is cleared every time. And even if people remember it that week, I mean, the goal is to have an improv scene that somebody remembers forever, <laughs> but like <laughs> most improv shows don't fall into that category. So everything that you've ever done in improv is gone from everybody's memory. It's mm-hmm. just it's it's 
the kind of the beauty of the art. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you do an improv scene, it is for the people in the audience right then. No one else right. in the entire world will ever experience what you just experienced, and that's what makes it so cool. Absolutely, yeah. It's yeah, like those sand mandalas or whatever. Like just just dust in the wind which is mm-hmm. very freeing and i mean I, I i try to remember that as much as i can it doesn't always work but like that it's if you can have that mentality it just kind of frees you up and the looser you are the just more ready to react you are it's right i don't know it's nice when you get in that group right and do you find it because you're doing shows often every week do you have people come up to you being like, oh, Freddie, that was so funny when you did blah, 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 and, like, you have no memory of doing that? D- does that happen <laughs> yeah. to you? I mean, I've def- I definitely have shows that are, like, a blur. Mm. And, like, I-, I mean, but I do the same thing to people, too. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, I loved it when you did that. And they're like, oh, yeah, I think I remember that. It's <laughs> just like, once you're in a zone, it's like, oh, I'm glad, I'm glad, like, I love it when you did is all I need to hear. I don't need to hear like a quote because it's just like, okay, like I had fun up there and they had fun in the audience. Mm-hmm. We, 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 we did a good one. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I, I want to talk to you also about your acting career. Cause I know you recently uh, just closed a show. You were working over summer. So how did you get involved in acting? Where, where, when did that start happening? So, I mean, People have been telling me for a long time and I've been uh, like kind of not resistant to it, but uh, kind of like discrediting myself. Just like, oh, I'm not an actor. I'm an improviser. Like correct people when they say you're an actor, but like improv- improvising is acting. And like, um, I know people who classify themselves as actors will say, oh, I can't improvise. And improvisers will say, oh, I can't act. The improviser, it's improvised acting. And there are definitely different skill sets and the the bleed isn't always as as like um common sense as it seems like it might be. Like there the skill transfer is there, but you have to learn things that kind of unlock it. It just isn't like one to one, you can do one, you can do either mm. the other. But I mean I like especially starting this like um Black Nerd and then um Lawrenceburg at dad's, I kind of like realized I've been acting my whole life. Hmm. Like just, you know, through the cork reading and reader theater things, those are performance, like memorized performance, uh, live theater. I mean, it was with a group or like in different formats, but it's like, uh, theater has been a part of my life more than I've even realized. Hmm. I mean, because in high school and middle school, it kind of, it was a small Christian school. So everybody, did find arts. So I thought that was just what everybody did. And, you know, and, um, uh, when I first started college, I didn't, um, do that much performing. I, um, I did one play because, um, my girlfriend at the time was heavy into theater and she was like, you should come audition for this. And I was like, all right. <laughs> but like, um, acting, acting is a huge part of improv. It's just like improv, it's just like uh, improv makes acting better. Um, acting makes improv better. It's mm. just it's just how it works. And I've learned like I can't just be an improviser and be a complete comedian. 
mm-hmm. you know? And that's like kind of my goal is to be a complete comedian. Mm. And so I feel like acting is a huge part of that. And like, all, like I said, like all the um, comedians I look up to, like Eric Andre and Will Ferrell and Jim Carrey and uh, Dave Chappelle, like they all act like, even if it's comedic, even if it's just comedic, they all act. It's not just improv. It's not just stand up. It's not just writing sketch. They all act. And like, I feel like that's super important and it teaches you a lot about comedy and like, I don't know. It teaches you a lot about humans, which teaches you a lot about comedy. Mm. Because you were doing two shows at a improv theater. um, Was it ever a challenge for you to, uh, you know, not try to alter the way you did something from night to night or like kind of change direction a little bit. Cause you got to stick, I guess, to what the director tells you to what the lines say. So was that ever a challenge for you? Um, I mean, I had two amazing directors and two amazing playwrights that were like very involved with the rehearsal process. And like the directors, both uh, like very much encouraged, like, I mean, you want you want to get the the meat, and you want to get the lines that are there, like for the jokes, and like to get the the meaning down. But as long as you have the essence, like once you have it in your bones, it was very much encouraged to explore. Mm. And like whether like it's delivery to like even changing lines, like to like <laughs> to get another laugh, or to like make something more. Uh, pointed or something like that i mean like in lawrenceburg um travis who wrote the play um is was in the play and he encouraged us and he also practiced like he would change something every single night and wow. like I, it became a game to like kind of catch your castmates off guard <laughs> and i don't know it was just like it was a fun game it, like we always had fun because of it and it was just like it's like that's where improv comes in and like stuff doesn't always go as you plan. So like you need to know how to improvise then, but like just find Like that's the good thing about live theater is exploration is, or I think it should be. And I think it is usually like exploration is encouraged because though there's a script and though there's blocking and light cues and everything, you find the places where you can explore and then you do explore and you find great things that you never would have got just out of rehearsal. Or like if you do something different in front of an audience and you find something new that they loved, it's just, it's, it's more, it's more living and breathing because it's, uh, you have to do it every night. Mm-hmm. So. Right. And now that you've gotten a chance to, to really be in a full fledged production of a play and uh, a ton of improv shows, wh- which do you like more? What's your preference? Um, uh, I know I'm supposed to say, oh, uh, uh, I like them both the same for different reasons. <laughs> I love improv. Like, uh, I think I'll always go back. To, like, even when I go to sketch, I always come back and I love, like, improv is my jam. And, like, I I loved the place that I was in and I loved the people and I loved, like, I learned to love the process. Like, rehearsal sounded super daunting to me before I started. And, like, the rehearsal process is just so cool. Like, I don't know. You're just like figuring stuff out with your friends and like building this work of art. And there's so many moving pieces, all the designers and uh, 
like technical designers like are all making all this beautiful stuff to make you look good and you want to make them look good and like i don't know there's something like invigorating about doing a play which i very much love but i am a procrastinator and (laughs) (laughs) in preparation is not my strong suit so i love to be able (laughs) to roll out of bed and walk to an improv show Mm. and do it and it's like i don't know it's I guess it's my first love, and it's still my still my top. Mm-hmm, definitely. Now, you you perform in a bunch of different shows all over Atlanta, and you've also helped be a part of creating new improv formats. So talk about how, how do you sit down and create an improv format, a new one? Um, well, it really just comes from I, – I, I don't know how many times after shows, like, people just – like they'll see a scene that'll inspire them or just like the way a show goes will inspire them and then be like, it'd be really cool. Like if there was a show that did X, Y, and Z. And like, I've been lucky enough, like, like I said, me not being a planner, I've been lucky enough to have awesome people like, uh, Christian Gray Moore who did tipsy zone and, um, uh, Sarah Brzee who did Freddie, Sarah and Andrew have a dance party. Like they come up to me and a certain group of people with a concept and then we just all to get, get together and flesh it out. And then we try it and we see what works in a show and what doesn't work in a show. And we kind of streamline it to make it like the best show possible. So <clears throat> it's very rarely that you come up with a concept and that's what it looks like at the end. Like when you, when you're performing it regularly with a team, mm-hmm. it goes through a sort of evolution, but it's just, it, it's all like, either like a concept that you really love and you would like to adapt it this way or make it like different. It's just, it's really, you want to chase the things that like really inspire you when you see an improv show. Like what, what do you think is the most fun? And it might not be the most fun to any, to everybody, but what you think is the most fun. And if you can turn that into a format, like, and get people who also think it's one of the most fun things, like, that show will be the most fun. It's just, it's kind of tried and true. Mm -hmm. Now last year or last year at the uh, Atlanta improv festival, I saw you perform in the tipsy zone when you guys did, did that format. And it, that was my first time seeing it. And so, uh, so describe for the people who are listening, who don't know what the show is, describe what the show is. And then I have a, I have a question about the show for you. Okay. So, um, basically, um, the like one sentence, uh, synopsis is we do an improvised episode of the Twilight Zone, but we drink during it. So, like, that's the whole conceit. But um, we try to get, we try to make it like really like thematic. Like, we want to get the ambiance and everything to be like to feel like you're watching an episode of the Twilight Zone. So, we all dress in grayscale to like kind of emulate black and white TV. We all dress like we're from the 50s and 40s like to match the time period we try to speak in that dialect and jargon um and we have a a a company a companyist uh most times that is playing in the style of the show uh and so we try to like make it like kind of engulf it to like this is what's like uh, a twilight zone a twilight zone show is happening right now and then um we notice like that in every episode of the Twilight Zone, drinking is like uh, a heavy part of it. Like a lot of them take places in bars and a lot of people have like big lip- liquor cabinets in this time period. And there's just a bunch of like drinking involved. 
So we decided like, what, what is fun to do? What is, what's more fun than watching people drunk, try to do a narrative story mm-hmm. and like try to tie loose ends together. And especially like a lot of twilight zones have twists. And so trying to come up with a twist and try to make it make sense under the influence. And so kind of ran with that idea. And yeah, Christian, uh, Gray Moore came up with that idea and kind of, uh, called a few of us in to kind of collaborate and work on it. And then we, um, expanded the team and it is what it is today. So my question for the show uh, about the show for you, because I remember every time someone offered you a drink, you had to take it. You couldn't, right. you couldn't say no, essentially. Right. Do you, I mean, <laughs> Uh, 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 go ahead. Go. What are we gonna say? I mean, we like to like to a safety extent. Right, of course, right. you can deny if it's if it's a safety issue. But yes, the the rule is there's no, if somebody offers you a drink, you have to take it and you have to finish it before you can leave that scene. Right. And so if the scene gets wiped or we do the do 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 sound from Twilight Zone, so that means the scene's over. If the scene is over before your drink is finished, you have to chug it. Right. And yeah. So are you, when you do this show, are you like, oh, great, here we go. Like you are got to mentally prepare yourself for what's about to happen. Or are you like excited and you're like, yes, here we go. Um, it definitely depends on like time of day or <laughs> yeah. time of night. Usually it's pretty excited. Like we do have like, we usually use like half a handle of vodka and half a handle of whiskey. And we have two pitchers on stage. And so, like, spread between, like, the five to seven of us to eight of us that are usually there, um, we get pretty tipsy by the end. And, you know, when you're drinking, like, it doesn't kick in right away. So we have a good 15, 20 minutes where we're, like, maybe getting, like, a little bit tipsy, but at the end, like, kind of perfectly, like, when we're supposed to be tying everything together, uh, people get pretty saucy and (laughs) pretty... (laughs) <laughs> things become harder to say yeah. and i think the audience enjoys like because there's a monologue at the beginning and a monologue at the end mm-hmm. and just the big difference between the monologue at the beginning and at the end is even pay off enough so mm-hmm. yeah I, to answer your question like i'm usually really excited uh we we've done like multiple shows in a row and that can kind of wear on you <laughs> but like doing yeah doing one show is usually very exciting Mm-hmm. And it's a fun challenge. Mm-hmm. It it definitely. I just remember it just got so. It just got sillier and sillier and more <laughs> absurd. And it was so much fun as an audience member to watch that happen. Um, I loved it. So that's why I had to bring it up. Uh, but at, I, <laughs> yeah, it was it was oh. so it was so good. <laughs> Now, what is your because you're you're doing comedy, you're doing improv, you're you're doing sketch and acting. What is your ultimate dream when it comes to to comedy? What's your ultimate goal? Um, for right now, I really want to make a show, like a TV show. Mm. And um I'm not like super I don't have like a specific vision of the show. I'm still finding my voice in writing, but I definitely like I want I want to be in the show and make a show. I don't know what it's about yet, and I don't know. I don't have, like, but that's that's my goal. I really want to make something that, like, kind of brings in all parts of my comedy and other people's comedy mm-hmm. and just, like, something that I'm really proud of 
that I get to help write on, uh, like hopefully show run and get to act in. Mm. That's the, that's the dream right now. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. And uh, my final question for you is a question that I ask to every single guest who's ever been on. And actually, you're my 50th episode. So congratulations. Woo! So this will be Happy this will be uh, thank you. Thank you. This will be the 50th <laughs> time someone answered this question. So you are answer number cool. 50 to this question. No so, pressure. So no pressure at all. <laughs> 49 people came ahead of you. I won't tell you if they succeeded or failed. It's now up to you. Okay. I'm already going to answer. The answer is poop. It, you were and so. I, you don't even so, have to ask it. You so, can oh, edit it in. Before. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening today. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I want to know if if there was someone who eventually wants to be in your shoes, what piece of advice would you give them? Um, they want to be in my shoes. Well, I would I would tell them to shoot shoot way higher. But, (laughs) but definitely just like put yourself out there. Like, uh, especially in Atlanta, like this community is so welcoming and so nurturing. And like, I I don't know, like, I don't know if I would have, like, if I'd be close to where I am anywhere else. And like, I, I do have ambitions to go other places and bring back what I've learned, but this community is so special and there's so much opportunity to, you know, try and fail and try and fail. And like, you get like, you, you get so like, and so many people that want to help you and so many people that want to collaborate and so many people that just want to love on you. Like, it's definitely my like second family. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. it's just, um, so if, if you want to be in my shoes, I would just, it's just being there. Like, whether it be a jam, whether it's class, whether it's, um, you know, watching other people's shows, like other types of shows, going to stand up, going, going to plays. Like if you're around, like, and you want to be in comedy, like you have to just be in comedy, be like kind of surrounded by it. It's, it's just, and like, if that's what you really want, it's just, you're going to be compelled to do stuff. And when you start doing stuff, people are going to want you to do other stuff. And it's just like, as long as you're around and you like, you care about it and you like are open to not, you're open to maybe the way you're doing it isn't like the best way, or maybe you need to like change your frame of reference. I think that's the other thing too. You need to be kind of malleable when you start, because if you come into it, like, Oh, I'm very funny. And I just need an outlet for it. Like, I feel like you can get stopped really quick. Like you can be funny and not know how to be funny. If that makes sense. Mm. Like uh, some of the funniest people I know in my life are nowhere near comedy. And I don't know if they could do comedy, but they're hilarious. So like, it's not, it doesn't always translate. So I think you have to be willing to be there and be willing to learn. And then it's, it like really, it just really comes down to that. Yeah. Now, Freddie, that that was an awesome answer, but unfortunately, the correct answer was poop. So, you were oh, right man, I'm sorry. You should have stuck with, stuck with it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But no, I, I was, mean, it is it is very true like 100% of comedians poop. So, that's that is you're you, not you're not wrong. 
Right. And to get to where I've gotten, I've pooped a lot. Yeah. Um, so, Freddie, if people want to see you perform around Atlanta or maybe check you out in an upcoming show, what are ways that they can see you or where can they see you? Awesome. So, um, yeah, I'm always performing at Dad's Garage Theater. I'm on the general company there. It's an amazing theater with amazing people. They have shows Thursday through Saturday at 8 and 1030. And their shows are always incredible, always incredible. And so um, there are various shows through that. Um, and uh, I just started a run with two of my good friends, uh, Sarah Brzee and Andrew Bracken. And it's a show called Freddy, Sarah and Andrew Have a Dance Party. And that's at Village Theater on Fridays at midnight. And we're running till the end of the year. So you got plenty of chances to come see that. And um, I don't know, stuff tends to pop up. I don't know how quick this is going up, but um, got shows this weekend. Um, yeah, just, um, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the time span that we have, Max. I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're all good. But definitely they can check you out at both Dad's Garage and Village Theater, not only uh, for this weekend, but pretty much almost every weekend. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Well, Freddie, thank you again so much for being on the show. Like we said at the beginning, this was four months in the making, and it was worth it. I know. I, it was definitely worth the wait. You've been, uh, man, you're so good at this. Oh. You got the voice for it. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's just it's it's real cool thank you i appreciate it and thank you for being my 50th guest it's a big deal oh man i'm so honored that's really what i was waiting for i was like <laughs> i need to wait for a milestone <laughs> i need to make up a lot of excuses for why i can't do it you were just pushing you were like 43 now nah, well, we'll hand that off 44 <laughs> no 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 no. <laughs> we're going for 50 but yes thank you for being <laughs> on uh it was great talking with you yeah thank you so much max it was a lot of fun and to anybody listening, remember, you can visit us at our website at www.talkinglatenight.com. You can also find us at our Facebook page at Talking Late Night, and you can find us on iTunes where you can rate and leave us a review. So thank you again to Freddie for being on. Thanks to you for making Talking Late Night turn 50 today, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.